George Washington had a quote about his mantra, his ethos of leadership that I think is is just the clearest way to build healthy teams full of esprit de corps, good morale, team cohesion. And he said this, and I think this makes sense. This is it. Listen, learn, and help, and then lead. In that order. Always in that order. Hey, guys, check out the 2023 Street Cop Conference, April 23rd through the 28th, Gaylord Convention Center. It's going to be the event of the year. Keynote speakers include Rob O'Neill, the guy who killed bin Laden, Kyle Carpenter, the youngest living Medal of Honor recipient, Navy SEAL Jason Redmond, Fox News host Tommy Lahren, Marine Corps Special Forces and Leadership Coach Cody Alford, Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff David Clark, and Sheriff Mark Lamb. It's going to be one hell of an event. And on top of that, we have all of our instructors and additional instructors from other companies going to be at the event giving you everything they know for you to have a successful career and get the results you want to get in the field as a police officer. On top of attending the event, you'll get face-to-face -face time with every instructor attending the event and all the keynote speakers will spend time with you. we got special events all week, giveaways, nightlife. It's going to be really, really worth your time, energy, and effort. I promise you, you will not regret it for a second. To register for the conference, check out streetcop.com, click conference, and everything you need will be there on the homepage. If you are looking for a room, just click book a room. The block has been sold out at the Gaylord Opryland Convention Center, but there are many hotels nearby within a walking distance of the event. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. We will see you there. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino and... On his reappearance, second time on the show, we had such a good conversation the first time. Lieutenant Corey Flowers, uh, Matthew McConaughey, smooth-talking, savage, <laughs> slick-tongued motherfucker. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have you, man. I was pumped that you were coming back on so soon. Yeah, there, thanks for the invite. I appreciate the invite, Dennis. That was, that was fun the first time. Good stuff. This guy's smooth, man. <laughs> Dangerous for daughters. Every father in the world fears you. <laughs> Thankfully, look, I... I'm no threat. That's for sure. Uh, we not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> He's one of those just charismatic Southern motherfuckers, right? Like there's not many of them. I, well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I, I guess we carry a unique torch for sure. But yeah, this is, um, I appreciate the compliments. That's yeah, all. I mean, he's like, he, he'll talk you right out of your britches. You know what I'm saying? And I like how I throw him britches there. <laughs> that's not a term you hear up here too often. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that was good use of that word. You used it. You used it correctly, even a guy from the north. So, yeah, good work. That was perfect. I got this one, too. This is something you don't hear in the north, but you'll hear in the south. I wish you would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to hear that. That When it gets to that point, then, yeah, it's pretty severe. Like, it's getting ready to be, it's getting ready to be bad. Hey, Things we don't that. hear up here. <laughs> yeah, dude, I get a lot of contacts traveling the country and meeting everybody from all over the uh, United States of America. But, anywho, uh, we were just talking before we went live here about some of the context of having responsibility from command staff, right? So I've said this before in the past, and it's interesting as a concept, and I say it in class, and it may be really frowned upon by those who it reflects or maybe something that is detrimental to them, but to allude to what we were saying, the next topic in conversation, I did not want to continue to talk unless we brought it up on the podcast, was I find it amazing this profession mm. that if you're a patrolman at an agency, you can guarantee, and this is for any company, you can guarantee that you're going to get a quarterly, semi-annual, or annual review of your performance. However, 
if soon as you get chevrons, you're off the hook. Hmm. There's hmm. no more responsibility. So why are we not implementing, and I know the answer to this, but why are we not implementing reviews of your supervisors? Why are we not sending out surveys to the men and women of patrol yeah. uh, that are anonymous with no recourse <laughs> and saying, tell us how you feel about your sergeant, your lieutenant, yeah. your captain. How does the command staff do for you? Yeah. And then them reading it with all humility and saying, wow, we didn't know we were failing here. Yep. Now, people be terrified because they would think there'd be some kind of major conspiracy. But I find it so interesting that as soon as you get out of patrol, you no longer have to perform, quote unquote, essentially, and be reviewed by your superiors. It's wild shit. Yeah, no, it, you're right. And, you know, it, it's interesting. We did. It's funny. We're bringing this up because we didn't we didn't prompt this at all in our just you know few minutes together before we started recording. But um this is something I've done for a long time. Uh, when I first made lieutenant and was put as an executive officer over a patrol division, uh, one of the first pieces of advice I gave to my captain that I was serving under is let's see what the people think about what they need and what we can do for them. And we did exactly that. Um, we created a form of a, a hand where you had to handwrite uh, a, an evaluation of the command staff. Where did the former command staff fall short? What do you need from us? How can we help? Um, and, and, and I said, look, the guys and gals will only trust it if it's not traceable completely. So we printed it on paper. We got an old box, like a, a box and cut a slit where no, I mean, there's no way that other than, and I even told folks, if you, if you think we can determine your handwriting, feel free to type on it and put it in there. We don't want to know who you are, but we do value the feedback. Um, you know, cause pro proper leadership is always, we tend to think leadership is, is down the chain of command, but proper leadership is always, up and down the, the chain of command, right? I mean, folks that are driving the mission can lead up the chain uh, as long as they're operating, like we always say, in good faith, in the law, innovatively, aggressively, assertively. If you're making your bosses productive and look good, then they're, you're actually, you're effectively leading up the chain. And so we have to gain that trust. And yeah, if, why would you not ask for an evaluation of yourself from the folks that you're leading? Um, you know, you always want to ask the question, like, what is life like for people under my authority? Like, that's the question. That should be on the front of your eyelids all day long as a boss in, in any profession, uh, but particularly here. Like, what's life like for folks under my authority? Like, that's a great, I, I just value that question. So I love the idea. I mean, I'm whole, wholeheartedly for it. The truth is always your friend, period. I'll, I'll even take it one step further. Imagine if there were, just like in patrol, when there's a bad review, there's repercussions. Imagine if there were repercussions for a bad review on a command staff. Imagine if there was some kind of overseeing authority that said, hey, uh, if your command staff gets enough bad checks on these boxes, mm. we're going to come in and actually intervene mm. and try to figure out what's wrong. And essentially, if we go back to your rank and file and there's some real failures here, we'll have to remove you or demote you and give somebody else a chance. Could you imagine how things would change, right? And I, I don't say this to break the chops of command staff. Um, I say this with the intention of trying to resolve the issues with a stern hand because the the nice way doesn't seem to be working. Right. Where guys are writing in the reviews or, and girls as well. I never got sent to training. Joe is the chief's nephew. He gets sent to everything. They promoted this guy they shouldn't have. Yeah. So what's the chief? Now the chief's got to sit and answer to somebody or the captain, whoever it is, and go, well, is this true? Yeah. Well, 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 hold on a second. Is there validity to this? How come we're seeing this repetitively over and over again? Yeah. We can't have you here if this stuff exists because you're not helping an organization grow. You're actually hurting and destroying the morale. That's and right. 
the consequences are dire. People do not really quantify what it means to dissuade your police officers from giving a fuck anymore. And that's a real scary place to be. For sure. Yeah. No, and it, and it's and it is the key. And, and I will say this, we do a really good job here in the agency of, you know, when we when there's a failure, we will we do a very honest job of of hot wash debriefing, you know, getting in a room and saying, look, there's no rank in here. Everybody needs to tell the truth about your perspective. Let's make let's learn something from whatever this you know, this failure, this tragedy, this this disaster moving forward so we don't do it again. And honestly, like I I, I do believe and I've, I've advocated this for a long time. I think it makes sense. I think one of the, the initial ways that you avoid a lot of you know failure in leadership is to appropriately place people uh, in the agency based on their strengths and their skill set. A lot of times what happens in, in larger agencies is you have a mindset that, um, you know, we need to in order to groom a proper lieutenant or a captain, you need to move him or her around the agency. So they learn all less aspects of the agency from budget to tactical operations because we need well-rounded people. Um, and in my opinion, I, I just I, I completely disagree with that mindset. I think we need to be placing people, uh, particularly in a command level, based on their strengths. Um, we don't need well-rounded people. You need well-rounded teams. Like, I think that makes sense. So, you know, if, if so-and-so is very strong and his or her career has been heavy on the tactical side, um, we don't need and, and he's not strong. She's not strong in budgetary manners, that kind of thing. Why would you place him there? Why would you not just equip him or her in their strengths and push them forward while meanwhile, somebody else is heavy, uh, very, very good on the administrative side and put them into that. Uh, that's that's a good way where you, you know, again, utilize people's strengths appropriately uh, moving forward. I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Maybe this is my next point that's kind of interesting, and this one probably rubs people the wrong way because a lot of people have been subjected to this. But how about political appointees, right? People who fit a certain look of what they want to represent the agency. Mm -hmm. And this is a major failure as well, because once we start saying what you look like will determine where you go in this agency, but not your skill level or skill set. And this is not uncommon, especially as we go into the woke era of this, this agenda politically. Um, you know, the reality is, this is one of those professions where you cannot start implementing wokeness into law enforcement. The military top command staff lately have been talking about what you're doing is you're literally dearming us completely. You're fucking the whole thing up. It's a complete failure and disaster. And it's your political ideology that's going to cause people to lose their lives. And that's the bottom line. You're going to appoint these people based on what you think they fit, not their qualifications of what they are. If you want somebody to be empathetic to certain uh, demographics, find somebody who's qualified and empathetic and can sit down and have a conversation, not just because, and I've seen it, man, you've seen the, I actually worked for one years and years ago. And eventually after I left this agency, uh, I said, what happened to that guy? They go, he was so stupid, but he was, appointed based on the way he looked, but he was such a fucking dummy that they eventually had to throw him out. He yeah. eventually had to get the, and you know what? They brought somebody else in who was just that compassionate, empathetic, could have the conversation, had good relationships, but also right. had the brains and the qualifications. So what's right. your thoughts on some things like that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know what the standard, first of all, the standards should always be the standards, but what, what we, a lot of times when folks talk about you know, diversity, they, what they're talking about is uh, a very shallow definition of diversity. It's talking about what, how people look, right? 
Um, whereas, you know, I just feel like that's, a, I've always felt like that's a very, very shallow definition, right? That if we're judging people based on what they look like, then that's, a, that could, that is very, that can be very like one dimensional and bigoted thinking. And we're wholeheartedly against that, of course. What I'm going to tell you what's interesting. We graduated a police academy two weeks ago that was extremely physically diverse, um, people that looked a lot different. And I, we were talking to some local media about how we achieved that. And what I told them was, look, we, that wasn't the goal. What, what, what all those folks have in common, no matter that they look different, right, is they have the heart for service, right? They have the heart for selfless service, selfless action, uh, serving and protecting the public. Um, and they just happen to look different. And that's beautiful. I mean, that's a perfect thing. But they're all extremely similar. And, you know, their drive, their direction, their purpose, you know, how that they want to pursue a fulfilling career. Um, and so, yeah, you have to keep you have to keep what you're looking for. You want to you want to be searching out ethical, you know, smart, intelligent, innovative folks that can make a decision. And, you know, however they look is however they look. Um, but you do need and I think it is wise, wise to cast a wide net. Um, but that that cannot be a primary priority for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. Listen, not everybody's meant to be a leader, just like no different than not everybody's meant to own a business. And I'm going to try to elaborate on this a little bit and give a little context. So you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Most of my life now is really business oriented. I spend a lot. I'm in business mastermind groups. I am constantly in books and podcasts. And I really like if you love the Carolina Panthers. And that's your, you guys are going to dress up and paint and fucking like little cattails and shit yeah. and go, that's your, that's great, dude. That's how I feel about business. So with that being said, what I also know is being in the business business is that a lot of people will come in and this is the beauty of business. They think that it's one easy, anyone can do it, number two, and, and they have the right to be there, but there's nobody funding your business if you suck, right, which is very different than public service. Yeah. If you suck in public service, they will still fund your business. Right. So if we know that everybody's not meant to be a leader, as a matter of fact, there's a reason, and I'm not trying to sound like a dickhead, why there are these one percenters, why, and I'm not saying the people who inherited money, but some point somewhere yeah. in the history of that family that people didn't inherit money in, or there was some success, there was a reason for that. And that's a conversation for another day. But essentially what that meant was somebody in business was capable of bringing enough value and knowing how to put something together where it worked and grew That's and right. it became a wonderful thing. Yep. There are so few people in this world who know how to do that. And let me just be very clear. If your name's Pete and you're mowing lawns on the weekends for an extra 50 bucks a lawn, that's your side hustle. Yep. That's phenomenal. But don't get confused, Pete. <laughs> you don't have 450 employees and 10,000 long cutting accounts. Yeah. Being a somebody who's a freelancer doing some freelancing work, you know, you do tile work, you have an extra guy's a hand for you. He's got a, you got a 20 year old kid who's learning how to be an electrician. That is not, you can be a great freelancer, but that is not a somebody who can run a business. Don't get it confused. That is somebody who's an artist who's quality, hard work, and you typically those people can get around and get by and really make a good living by word of mouth. Yeah. But in order to run an entity, which these police departments are entities, right? You've got to have some of those qualities. You can't have none of those qualities. Right. And even when you don't have all of those qualities, like a good leader at an organization, you find the people 
who can fit those voids that you can't fulfill because it's not in your wheelhouse. Yep. There are things that I suck at doing. I want nothing to do with. What I do is essentially find people to join my team that can fulfill those voids. That's right. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And what you're talking about, what we were talking about is building a well-rounded team. Uh, the, the, the guy or gal that, that just says, I don't need any, I've got it all. Like I'm the full package. I've got it. That's just, that's either an intellectually dishonest person or someone with zero self-awareness, but you need, you know, you, you have a particular gifting. I'm different, different than you are. I'm different than the person down the hall. We all have unique giftings. You put, you, you, you surround yourself with people who are, who are filling those gaps, like you said, and will be honest with you. Right. I mean, even when it's a, a hard word to hear um, and that's the way to, you know, to build a, a highly functioning team. As soon as we don't care who gets the credit, it's amazing how effective and efficient we can get in any organization. So just drop the credit, drop the ego, surround yourself with people that'll be honest and man, press on. That's a beautiful team. As we talk about this, it reminds me of a conversation I had with a kid who DM me on Instagram or something like that. And he said, you know, I was putting Simon Sinek videos out yep. and Simon Sinek is a big proponent of leadership. Yep. And what people don't realize is he has made public statements about trying to get involved in law enforcement, almost pro bono to try to help correct because he recognizes that that's a major significant issue here. Mm. The crazy thing is that I say these things and I've said this a thousand times to my detriment because when a command staff member hears this and misinterprets what it is, or it reflects who they are and now they can't hide anymore behind the, the way it used to be, mm. when there's actually this command for them to show up as a leader and actually learn leadership. And he talks yeah. about the failure. We we make people leaders, but we don't teach them how to lead. Right. And they end yeah. up being managers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't send somebody to a three-day leadership school taught by a guy or a girl that everybody hated at their last job. It's always interesting. Like you're going to a leadership by who? Somebody that everybody hated at their last place. Like why yeah. isn't Lieutenant Corey Flowers teaching a leadership <laughs> class? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's right. crazy. Sure. People send me pictures like, you believe this guy teaches leadership? And you like reach out to the people that, that he was the chief police for and are like, dude, we fucking hated that guy. Right. And he's your yeah. leadership instructor. And he sits down in his class and says, let's talk about discipline. They do this, that's a 10 day rip. You do this, you have a five day rip. You want to build a... Oh. You want to build some kind of vial, a file against them so we get them prepared to fire them. And then, you know, right. this is that endless cycle yeah. of, of toxicity of why we can't break out of what we're doing. Right. Look who you're sending people to get leadership training from. Yeah. 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 And, but, but, and you think about it, like, if you think about it, it's kind of the perfect storm. So the worst leaders are the ones with heavy egos, a lot of pride and no humility, right? So that the idea of like teaching, right? and being having an authority being an authority figure over a classroom that will also a lot of times unfortunately attract the folks who have the heavy ego and the heavy pride and the heavy humility and on top of that the idea of teaching leadership right that is a lot of times also going to draw the folks who were bad leaders because they have that heavy ego um and so you know a lot of times you know the best leaders are just humble folks that just want the mission to get done and don't care about uh, who gets credit. And those are the folks that a lot of times are, are less likely to say, hey, look at me, look at what I'm doing. So, yeah, when you find that diamond in the rough, that 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 individual that's teaching proper leadership, like servant led leadership, um, it's it's a rare thing uh, because it, you know, that spot attracts the wrong people. It's like, be, be careful who you put in, who you put in charge of a classroom. Um, but you're right. I, I think that's a pretty universal truth, unfortunately. 
one thing that is detrimental and is a real horrible result of poor leadership. There was nothing that disturbed me more, to be honest with you, from an administrative sense, when you would watch people come out of the academy, mm. you know, belly full of fire, ready to like lay on the sword, go out, serve the public, do it well with that energy. Sometimes you got to polish those folks a little bit, redirect their energy a little bit, get them on the right path in the right yep. place. Yep. And a leadership who doesn't know what to do with this person and completely just extinguishes their fire. Yep. And then now you have for the next 23 years, somebody who's so jaded, such a bad taste in the mouth, you've taken this potentially wonderful police officer yep. and made them another slug, another yep. mope. Yep. And we talked about it last time we were on about, you know, not, not only like incentivizing and heavily pushing for folks to go and make mistakes. Like I, I just think it's key. And a lot of times these new folks are coming out of, like you said, the, the academy with the right spirit, the right heart, not a lot of, they, they don't have all the specific tools of the protocol. And so they'll make an error, right? Um, an error in some kind of protocol or whatever, a report or mislabeling, whatever, a video, a body cam video. And then, you know, you have some boss that, you know, does not understand like the, the spirit of what we're trying to create, just smash them down or crush them. Um, and, and it's instead of saying, Hey pal, I did that too, because that's the truth. We're all making it. We're all the same, right? It's every, every mistake is common to man. So we've made that mistake too. And pulling that person aside and saying, look, it's not a big deal, right? Good for you. Keep your foot on the gas, right? I'm completely with you. And I, I just think that's a, that gets lost. And, and I think part of that, I think part of what draws folks to, to have that hard hand is, um, a lot of times insecurity. Right. So you have bosses, like you said, who are who have perhaps achieved rank, uh, you know, for various reasons, but they're, they're not super secure in their skill set. Uh, they weren't, um, you know, perhaps the, the most excellent police officer coming up. And so now they're certainly not the most excellent commander. And what they choose to rely on is their positional authority. Right. Their their rank. Right. You're going to do this because I'm an authority. Um, and that is, um, man, that is a recipe for, like you said, the word extinguish is perfect uh, because that's a recipe for wholeheartedly extinguishing the fire in somebody that could make this a career. And then a lot of times, you know, like you said, it'll turn them into the ditch and they'll leave the profession in a few years. Um, and it's it's ju it's just not the right thing. And I hate to see it. Unfortunately, I've seen that uh, on occasion, too. Um, and, I, and then you hear the stories. A lot of times we have laterals come into the agency from other agencies that have had that experience. And, um, you know, it, it makes folks allegiant to an agency or, or make them, you know, run from it based on that that one really, really unfortunate, you know, in, encounter with a with an insecure boss. I've been around for a lot of years. So have you. And, you know, it's interesting. People don't need to be the best, most innovative leaders to be effective leaders. Yep. I have a friend of mine who rose through the ranks pretty quick and it, he did because he's a very, very good test taker. What I can say is he wasn't a hard charger. He wasn't somebody who was burning the town down, locking a ton of people up. As a matter of fact, he might've been just the opposite, but what I could tell you about him is he's kind, he's easygoing, and he has your back. Yep. So as he progressed through the ranks, you'll never find somebody that has a problem with this guy now because mm -hmm. maybe he's not the guy that's going to go to SWAT school with you, right? Or go to command patrol school with you or, you know, an interdiction school. Yep. But he'll be the guy that gets why you want to go. 
yep. and and ensure that like, yeah, man, if we could do it, we could do it. You know what I mean? Yep. This is so much better than the person who behind the scenes, this is the worst guy in the world, <laughs> goes around is trying to run interference for everybody. And we had these guys too at my agency. Right. Uh, you had people, and I, I, we knew of a guy who was a lieutenant that would get thrown out of internal affairs a lot because he would go into internal affairs because he had some clout in the building. And they'd be like, why are you in here? And I would hear from the guys in internal affairs, like this motherfucker comes here every day, hmm. right? Trying to chop it up with us. Right. But like throwing things out there to see if we can take some things. Hey, did you hear what this guy the fucking did last weekend? Uh, you hear that guy? And these guys weren't bad dudes. And they're like, yo, get the fuck out of here, dude. Like, stop right. coming in here and saying shit like that. This is a right. lieutenant at a police department yeah. going in. And, and it wasn't the people that, as nuts as this is, it wasn't the people that weren't doing anything. It was yeah. always the guys and girls that were going out and doing work. And what I understand is when I started finding out about this fucking hand job, is that he was like this his whole career because he wanted to be like this top cop. And he was so not good at police work, but thought he was. Right. That anybody who had talent, he would just talk shit about. And yep. it's just the crazy insecurity. Yep. You know, I warned people about this guy before I left. I was like, hey, watch out. This motherfucker's getting promoted. I'm mm -hmm. telling you guys, I've experienced with this guy. He's bad news. Yeah, I'm yep. fucking telling you, make your own decisions. But I'm telling you, you know, and guys at that time, like, nah, he's not a bad guy. Now, from what I hear, yeah. He's a nightmare and everybody yeah. wants off his shift. He's losing like sergeants won't walk, work for him. He's a fucking complete nuisance and a nightmare. Yep. And also one of these guys that won't leave. So he's this fucking right. old fuck. Yeah. Right. That won't leave. He's sitting there making everybody miserable. 38, 39 years. Yep. And won't yep. go anywhere. And he's a fucking scumbag. Yep. And those folks are, you know, you talk about, I mean, the word cancerous, the word toxic, those are not like, those are appropriate words because that, that, the kind of person with, like that, with that kind of influence in an agency, is is uh, like contagious in the worst way. I mean, you would talk about assassinating morale. That's the way to do it. I just feel like you know, insecure commanders, insecure bosses um, who again lean on that positional authority and just you know will hammer folks. I, I just I don't understand it. Um, but when in actuality, like you just alluded to, like the best, the most effective leaders, and we, me and my pals talk about this stuff all the time. The most effective leaders, I, I think. We've talked about this for years. George Washington had a quote about his mantra, his ethos of leadership that I think is is just the clearest way to build healthy teams full of esprit de corps, good morale, team cohesion. And he said this, and I think this makes sense. This is it. Listen, learn and help and then lead in that order. Always in that order. Right. Listen, learn, and help. You're a force multiplier. You want to learn the job, right? You give your folks the benefit of the doubt. You get them the stuff they need. And then, then when you're finally up to speed, then lead. And they will follow you, particularly if you work harder than they do. Uh, I was talking with a, a new uh, a new sergeant, good friend of mine, um, a couple of weeks ago, and we were just talking about, you know, what, what's your idea? How do you how do you ignite a, a squad? And I told him, I said, friend, if you outwork them, then two things will happen. The majority of your folks are going to follow you just out of a sense of pride and team cohesion. Those are the ones that are you're going to be able to light on fire, outwork them. They'll follow you out of pride. The other side of that is you'll have a few that will just follow you out of shame, right? Because they will not, they don't want to be outworked by their boss. So either way, if you outwork your folks, they will follow you. And it's and it's it's simple. You don't have to like hammer folks. You just you know go make the job fun, make it fulfilling. And you don't, you don't have to say lead. You don't have to say, look at this rank. You just press on. They will follow you. 
Everything's more effective. It's a lot more fun. And it's just it's just a more enjoyable career. Um, it's just sad to see the other way, like you were talking about with that that case study there, for sure. For years, people have not wanted to address this things that we face in this mm. profession. Um, and this is just one of them, but it's probably the most significant one that we face. But at the top, at the crest of the problems is political agendas. That's number one issue. And it's so amazing when you see a chief or meet a chief who's like, the town doesn't bother me. The city doesn't bother me. They let me run it the way I need to run it. Yeah. That's why we're happy here. I don't get requests yes. or getting sit downs from the council of what they, if they need something done, they want to see something. I'm willing to listen to them. If I can accommodate it and we think it's part of our mission plan, that's what we do. Yeah. But if not, we're going to do things the way we want to do them because you've said to me, you're the chief. Yeah. You've entrusted that you're the chief. We're going to allow you to do chief shit. And as long as the things are going well and people are happy and dude, it's such a beautiful thing for people who live in towns like that, because yeah. those are inherently happier police officers and the towns just support these guys, yeah. these men and women, you know, what a place to work where you're appreciated as a cop. And a lot of people have never even experienced that. Um, but when we talk about this command staff and we talk about some of the things that we see, why do you think that when somebody takes the responsibility of taking over the whole fucking thing, that they don't address cancerous individuals below them. They know that this person's constantly misbehaving and they don't bring them in the office and say, listen, Joe, I'm not tolerating anymore. Right. You better unfuck yourself because these guys and girls can't stand you. Sure. Um, or bringing people in and going, listen, Susan, you know, your 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 performance is lackluster. I don't want you to go down this path. I'm a nice guy. I'm I'm decent. What do you want? What is the problem? Where are we failing you? Yeah. And, and begin I, yeah. to address issues like that, you know? Yeah. And, and, it, and it, you know, you and I talk about it. And that sounds like the most it's it's the simple, commonsensical answer. But I think I, I think there's a couple of things that I think feed into you know, we'll call it dysfunction. I mean, if if a hierarchy of a of an organization is a family, we call it a dysfunctional family. So we we'll use the word dysfunction. Um, I think a lot of times you have, um, you know, have folks that have achieved like like the individual you were talking about have achieved this rank and stayed in place, and because they're cemented there, uh, particularly like with the connections with the city council or you know high like high power people in the in the in the community, um, put a lot of stock in that person, so they've got a lot of backing. I mean, ignorant though it might be, right? They don't truly know how this person works, but they've got this person's back, right? So he or she has a lot of like political, you know, leverage a lot of times in the in the community. Um, and then honestly, like the the big thing that almost all of it always always boils down to, because you know, if I was the chief, if I was whatever car one, I mean, I would understand. There's car two, three, four, five underneath. Like there's, I'm in charge, right? And so I can get my house in order. Um, but a lot of times it's just, and I hate to say it, and this is going to sound real elementary, but a lot of times it's just cowardice. Um, and you know, I don't think we speak blatantly enough about how toxic cowardice. And that's in that case, that's you know, political cowardice, you know, cowardice, and it's not a, but it's just as destructive and it's just as toxic as, you know, physical cowardice for a cop out here saving lives. 
um, because it can destroy an organization and ramifications and the, you know, the, the ripple effect can, can go on for, I mean, even years and sometimes decades after that person's gone, whether that's retirement or, you know, whatever else. So I hate to see it. And I'm like you, a lot of times I, I don't understand it. I, I feel like, you know, if, if I was in a position like that, I would, you know, have a very blatant conversation. You would do that on a squad level. I mean, if a sergeant's in charge of 10 or 12 officers and one of them's, you know, just creating all kinds of drama and nonsense within the squad, you'd pull them aside because you're in charge and you'd say, hey, you know, this is not this is not optimal. How can we help? we got to knock this off now, right now. Um, and for whatever reason, folks get a little apprehensive to using that, that same kind of positional authority for good. Um, and, and I don't understand it. That was a long that was a long way to say I don't know. And unfortunately, that's a mystery that's <laughs> that plays out everywhere. It's sad. You know, honestly, I don't think it's much of a mystery because you already said it. it's this cowardice. And I'm going to try to, again, assimilate it to the business world where I live in a lot. Um, but I can tell you that when you look at leadership, there is one common thing amongst many leaderships, and that's bravery. Right. Even for me, there are brave things that I have to do if I'm saying to the country and the law enforcement officers in this country, hey, I'm going to represent you well. Yeah. I'm going to do the best I can. Understand mud's going to get thrown in my fucking face. Mm. There are going to be people that come after me, but you're going to have to trust that how I respond is going to be in your best interest. And I'm brave enough. Like before we talked, I was called to be on a news program for this afternoon, whether or not that actually comes to fruition. That's an intimidating thing because sure. you don't want to say the wrong thing. Yep. But I have to dig deep and say, okay, but I'm the guy that we've kind of all elected in some sense to mm. say the right thing. And I've got a clear history of saying the right thing. Yep. But there may come a time where I say the wrong thing and then don't mean it. You know, we do these podcasts and the podcast has really taken off. So when I run into people, they're like, man, it's great. Mm. I love it. And I, I appreciate it so much. And I now shifted a lot of my focus and energy into this podcast because obviously it's where the momentum is. It's where I belong the most. Yep. But it's so interesting, Corey, as soon as we have somebody on that people don't like or I didn't have enough context of the background, <laughs> I'm being hung, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. what happened to the 750 episodes <laughs> you guys adored? At 763, I swung and missed. I got the wrong guy yeah, and I didn't right. know this about them. <laughs> like, I get it, but folks, yeah. we don't, you know, we don't have like a complete internal affairs division here. People are doing full on backgrounds. Yep. If I feel something wrong during the conversation, I'll readdress it. Yeah. Or we'll just remove it from our, from our, our, you know, our array of, or our lineup. Yeah. Of podcasts. So bravery and leadership are some yep. things that go hand in hand. It's that being able to stand up for your men and women, even yep. when it doesn't benefit you the most, even when, you know, you might, suffer consequences for being brave. And I okay. suffer consequences for being brave all the time. Right. Uh, there are people who hate my guts because of things that I say, but I believe them. And guys like you mm. continue to validate that I'm not insane, that I have really good ideas. And I'm looking to just ideally move the progression of this profession into a good place, plant right. these seeds. So later on, the people who are listening to this say, you know what, that actually made a lot of sense. I'm going to be a sergeant. I'm going to be a lieutenant. I'm going to be a captain. I'm yep. going to be a chief. I like what these guys are saying. It's speaking to me. Yeah. I can have an option of being somebody who is 
toxic or somebody who cares. And even though caring may not benefit me any more than being toxic, yeah. I am a selfless person who wants to improve upon where this whole thing is going. That's right. Yeah. And you alluded to it too. And you have, and the other key to that is you have the stomach for making a mistake. So if, you know, if you bring on the wrong person or if you speak, you know, you're speaking passionately in the public about a topic, you know, police related and you mess up, you, you know, knowing you, like I've learned, uh, you would be fine with saying I messed up. I was wrong. Right. Period. And that's okay. Right. And, and that's, but that's a big deal, but that, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of courage, particularly in the public eye. Um, And, you know, talking about the, the command level type, you know, wherever uh, those decisions to get rid of, of certain folks, I mean, this job, this profession, like bravery, courage is one of the most necessary foundational ingredients in the people that get called into this anyway, particularly now. You think about a 21 year old with looking at all the social media invective against our profession just to apply and to step into the ranks. Right. And then rising through the ranks and becoming a, a sergeant or whatever and going to bat for your folks when they make good faith mistakes and then rising to the level of command staff and having the courage to to speak a lot of times to very powerful entities on behalf of your folks who made have made a good faith error and then you know i think a lot of times about like uh you know very public events like whether it's critical incidents or officer involved shootings um and you know the when when you as a commander or as a chief perhaps find out that in the early stages like this particular officer involved shooting looks very very righteous right um, all of the initial indicators, even an hour into the scene, are pointing to that your people did the right thing. Making a public statement that is not committal, right, but just says, look, as of now, the officer's been placed on administrative leave, and that's normal. We do that with everybody. But everything that we see, that we have seen so far, it appears that our officer acted in good faith within the bounds of the law. And we'll have a further comment upcoming. Like just a statement like that is so good for your people. It's so good for morale. Um, and and it's honest. I mean, it's truly honest. And it can a lot of times get ahead of and extinguish any any possible nonsense that might be stirring up in the public. Um, but that's a, that takes courage, right? Because you could be, who knows? You could be wrong, right? And that could be a that could come out to be perhaps not a completely like right statement, uh, but it doesn't mean you're being, you were being dishonest. You were just wrong. And it, it takes courage therefore to make it right and say, I was wrong. Um, but again, courage, that, that ingredient is huge. I wrote an article a couple of years ago for police magazine um, talking about why courage is number one. Like I, I polled a bunch of folks and you know, what's the most important ingredient for a cop in t- the 21st century courage came out the top of the list, all manner of all different types of courage, but it's got it. It's got to exist here. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. To rewind a little bit, the second part of me talking about bravery was this new said a word cowardice there are inherent responsibilities that come with the territory of being the boss being the leader and some of those responsibilities are yeah you know what dennis benito gets to take pictures uh in, in a month from now at our conference in nashville with yep. 1700 people <laughs> and i get to hear how great the work that we're doing is yeah but at the same time dennis benito gets to deal with the insanity of taking the initiative to try to make things better for cops 
in a sometimes state of affairs that is anti-cop. So even just trying to help yeah. puts you on the target board of what, who they're going to come after. And people have to understand that these folks, they don't want a better police officer. They really don't. We want a better police officer. You want a better police officer. You want to be better. There's nothing we can do when trying to pander to these lunatics that's going to make sense. Yep. What they want to do is make sure they mash police down. They're po anti-police. Mm -hmm. They sometimes take the podium and say, no, we're for the police. We, But they're not. I'm telling you they're not. I'm living it now. Right. They're fake. They have an agenda. And it's driven. If their agenda was to actually have a better police officer, they'd be in this room right now having the conversation and saying, how can we help you knowing what you're trying to do? Now, right. in business, I uh, often tend to give some people advice. And recently I was humbled about three weeks ago. I went to a business mastermind group and I got my, bro, I just heard numbers that people were making. And I'm like, God damn, I thought I was doing good, right? Like I thought I was doing all right. And I'm like, God damn, yeah. this motherfucker's 10 years ago, I'm going to be doing fucking 12 times revenue what I'm doing, oh. yep. right? Like some real amazing shit. And I just love it. I love getting my, like, just the whole thing is like, God, I suck, right? I just like that. So, um, but when I, coach people that are lower than I am, I guess, or I don't want to say lower. Let me, let me rephrase that. Just further back along the race of business, yep. right? So essentially yep. they're in mile one. I'm in mile six. These other people I met two, three weeks ago, they're in mile 23. Yeah. They have a lot more time in the field. I think we all come from the same cut of cloth. Uh, I really do believe that. I think they can recognize that. Yep. I can recognize that and people who are less along the progression scale. But one thing I see people doing, one of the biggest mistakes people make in business nonstop is they retain employees longer than they should be retained because they're afraid of having a tough conversation. And it's yep. no different than dating somebody too long. 100%. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, it, this is who knows how this will say. Yeah. In the South, we say, you know, sometimes you just got to shoot the wounded deer. I mean, it's, it, it's in the road. It's stumbling around. <laughs> it's got to be ended. Right. That's okay. Uh, it becomes a hideous beast at, at, at some points, but yeah, it's sad that we, you know, and again, what does that harken back to courage or not? Right. That's all it is. Right. Do I, do I, do I value, am I more afraid of having a conversation that might get, you know, it might have some friction involved. It may have some harsh feelings. It may have some true, but harsh words. Um, am I more afraid of that? Or am I more afraid of what the ramifications are? If I allow that person to keep down going down the path that they're going uh, poisoning the agency. Right. Um, and it's, it's just interesting what we're again, it's, it's courage and versus cowardice. And my pals and I speak about it and we throw the word, honestly, now we throw the word, you know, coward around because we see it when you start looking for, it, you see it everywhere, you know, whether it's in politics on a national scale or, you know, any kind of local, you know, political deal or in, inside a police department, you'll, you'll see cowardice and you're like, it's cowardice. It's obvious, right? If just have some courage and, you know, step to that situation, step to that person. Um, and I, and I, 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 it's not a good trade. It's not, it's never a wise trade to defer that hard conversation and, you know, just let the cancer grow. It's not wise. Let my pain and experience with pain help others. Right before we came on this, I'm not kidding you, at 10 o'clock in the morning today, I had an interview. And I think you get better at hiring. I think you get better at making decisions. I think you get better at making faster decisions as you experience the pain. Because when you don't want to have these hard conversations in a business, it costs a lot of money. That's right. Yep. And I'm telling you, it's it's 
just one of those things where, yeah, it might hurt a little bit now, but it's going to hurt a lot more later. Yep. Ripped I had an interview with a girl, 10 o'clock in the morning. It was done at 10.07. And I said to her, I don't think we're a good fit. And she <laughs> said, well, well, tell me about some things I would do. I go, I don't even want to, we don't even have to go down that road. Yeah. Uh, at this point now, you're wasting your time with me. I've made my decision. Um, yep. It was really one of the top 10 worst interviews that I've had. And I really went through a big selection process. <laughs> and I said to myself, let me try to give this girl a chance. She looks like she has some potential. Sure. And I did it. The chance was a five to 10 minute interview. Yep. And people might say, well, that's very harsh. No, no, I've been doing this for a while. I know what it looks like. Yep. This one started with like, I want to work Monday through Friday and have a set schedule. I'm like, well, that's not how it kind of works here. Like we're always busy. I'm like, yeah. what about weekends? She's like, I don't want to be bothered on weekends. I'm like, yeah, unfortunately it's not going to work here. Wow. Yeah. And then she just goes into a lot of things. And I just like, what would you like to do? And it went into like something completely opposite. How'd you hear about us? Yeah. Oh, indeed. Sent me an email and uh -huh. wanted me to apply here. And at yeah. minute seven, I went, yeah. you know, this is not for, this, do you know anything about us? Nah, <laughs> that was so easy for me because when you're new, you're like, well, you seem nice. Why don't you come in and give it a shot and you'll learn about us? No, no, no. We're done. And I came out and I saw my my top staff. You know, like when I say top staff, I'm talking about the people who are here today that are the VP. And yep. I said, I just interviewed somebody. They go, what what time? I went 10 o'clock. They're like, it's it's 10 after 10. And I go, did you hear anything I said? They go, no. I go, yeah, no, it's, I, I go, I just ended it. They're like, when? I'm like, at like minute seven, I just called it quits. Terrible. And We've gotten better because three years ago, I'd be on the thing for 30, 40 minutes to try to not make this person feel bad. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I wasn't being rude. I'm just like, hey, we're not a good fit. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. No different than if a girl walks up to me at a bar and says, I like you. My first assessment is I understand and that's nice, right. but I don't like you back. <laughs> right. Right, like, or, or vice versa. Yeah. When I approach a girl at a bar or a nightclub and go, hey, and she looks at me and says, no, right. which by the way, I'd never set myself up for that stuff as a single man because <laughs> it would, it, I could keep my ego, can't, my ego cannot handle that shit. Sure. Um, but, but it's no different. I have to respect yeah. when somebody declines, are we a good fit? That's all dating really is. And that comes back to why people are unsuccessful in dating. Yeah. Why the divorce rate so high is because everybody's mm -hmm. having a difficult time understanding two things for dating. And we're just going to talk about this for a second. Yeah. People can't pick people can't decipher when they're in love versus when they love somebody there's yeah. two different things right. and on top of that because they love somebody but are not in love with them they don't want to hurt their feelings and yeah. they can tolerate them like a good friend yeah but what they don't realize is as you progress through a relationship with somebody and this is in any business it's the same thing it all makes the same sense yeah as you progress through a relationship with somebody especially a marriage you're going to have children. You may get a kid that needs medical attention. It may become very daunting on the family and the relationship and very trying and pressing. And I'm telling you, the only thing that makes or breaks whether you're going to be able to survive significant things like that in your life is this force of love. Yep. Because when you exactly. love that other person so much, you love them and you just, with all your heart, not just, hey, I love that guy, right? No. Yep. Like I, like, I love this person so much, I'll do anything for them. Yep. It makes events like that very easy. So we yep. have events here in a growing business that is turbulent at time. We're no different than anybody else. Sure. There has to be that relationship here with my employees and me yep. to know that 
we're going to be here for each other. We are in love with each other in some sense. Yep. And yeah. I do believe what you believe in the same thing. And, and because you love me, I will love you back yep. in the same regard. And yep. that's where, you know, that's where we miss a lot. Yeah, for sure. And that's where that, you know, that's where like building trust, whether you call it like trust capital or whatever, over the years of a healthy relationship or a healthy leadership. Um, if you've built that trust over years where your people know that you have their best interests at heart you're not going to utilize the agency or them to step on to higher and greater political aspirations, whatever it is. They know you're there for the long haul. They know you give them the benefit of the doubt. They know you're trustworthy. Um, then when you have to have those conversations like, hey, pal, knock it off. It's not working. Why are you doing this? This is this is adverse to what we want to build here. Those hard conversations are much easier to digest. And again, that's whether you're talking about a marriage or a dating relationship or a professional relationship where if you're if you've proven to yourself to be trustworthy, again, the truth is always your friend. And when you have to have those hard conversations, it it just works out easier. It's again, it's not fun. Um, but it works out easier than the tyrant that wants to, you know, criticize some somebody. That's never digested well. So yeah, you're right. It's worth it's worth the hard work down the line um, for when you re reach that point where you got to give out the discipline or the hard conversation. And I, I again, courage. We keep coming back to it. It's all courage. Tough conversations are the best conversations because I swear to God, I can't think of a tough conversation that I was involved in that I didn't come out and recognize yeah. that one, there was a big miscommunication. Yeah. Right. That gets out on the table Two, You get bloody and punch each other in the face for about two hours. Yeah. But then at the end, it's like being a nine-year-old kid who fist fought his best friend over a disagreement. That's right. It's very interesting. After you fight your friend for the first time and like yeah. physically fight each other, yeah. how three weeks from then you're best friends and stronger than ever. Yeah. And as you progress through life, that bond continues to grow because so, yeah. You know, I, I have had conversations with people that I love and I brought them into a room in two, three hours of getting bloody. Like, this is why I think you're fucked up. Yeah. And the repercut and the recourse of or reciprocation of, well, this is the thing that I had a problem with. Well, like, let's fucking explain it from my perspective. Let's see yeah. why it looked that way. And yeah. then at the end, dude, I, I'm telling you, every single time you have those tough conversations, you you know, it's it's we have a thing here, right? If I walk in here and I see somebody's having or acting a little weird. I'm like, hey, uh, let's go. Come on to my office. I'm like, why? Yeah. I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. And I'll dig. And dude, I dig into it. And I'm like, what is the problem? And I'm like, I know you. I know something's not right today. Yeah. If it's personal, you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. Well, you know, I didn't know like why so-and-so <laughs> got to do that and blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. I came here and I'm the person who's supposed to be doing that, but then you gave it to them. Hmm. And I'm like, why don't you just ask me? Just and I can tell you why, because what you didn't know is in the background, we had this for you. We yeah. don't want to overburden you. And if that was a mistake on our behalf, because you thought that was your thing, you just got to tell me, you know, like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, I know. So you came in here with poopy pants on, yep. pissed yep. off over something you didn't know. Yeah. And I think people here know that they can trust me. They know that I have their best interest at heart. Yep. And if I make a mistake, it wasn't because I let it with malice. I'm always trying to do the right thing, but I am a human being. And sometimes I don't think seven steps beyond what I see at the surface level. You yeah. Know? And it's a good way to constantly check ourselves too. Like, are, are you, are you available? Are you receptive to the hard word from other people? I got, a, I got a good friend of mine that's pretty, uh, he's pretty famous for inviting criticism and almost always, not always, but almost always, he literally replies with, I can fully, I'm, I'm okay receiving that criticism. 
and then moving on with the conversation. And he takes it to heart. Uh, he's got, you know, surrounded himself with, with people that he trusts and even people that dislike him. A lot of times, you know, again, truth is your friend. If it's coming from, it doesn't matter where the avenue is, it's coming to you. Uh, examine it. Is there value in it? Is there validity in it? Is this criticism warranted? And if it is, the proper response is not to get frustrated and angry and pout. The proper response is to say, I'm grateful for that, right? That, that's good. I can accept that. That's that's tough to hear, um, but I'm going to change, right? That, and uh, he does that all the time. I, he says, uh, you know, I, I fully receive that criticism, period, and move on. And uh, I, I, I can learn a lot from that for sure because ego gets in the way. And it makes us want to defend ourselves and keep our hands up and, you know, um, and then not receive that criticism. Why would you not? Why would you not, when you think about it objectively, want to invite objective, honest, you know, loving, honestly, it's, it's loving criticism. Why would you why would you not want that? So but it's hard. Easier said than done, for sure. But I, I, I value watching that. If you came here and watched the conversations going on in this office you'd probably have a hard time sometimes figuring out who's actually in charge in some sense. And we're talking about roundtable discussions and how I have people just beating me to death. Mm, yeah. But, but, but I love them and they love me. So they're yeah. like, Hey, fuck face. And these are like 23 year old girls are like, Hey, fuck face. Yeah. You were supposed to do this yesterday. We're still waiting for it. And you're all fucking doing this. And I'm like, well, yeah. okay. So like, yeah, we get it, but we need this. We can't move forward until you get your head out of your ass. And I'm like, Oh, or like, hey, I didn't like that shit the other day that it, I'm yeah. like, oh, OK, like. So, dude, you'd be surprised. Like, I actually told one of the girls who works here yesterday because she was like a real. Kind of um, I said to her one time, I'm like, hey, were you a teacher's pet at some point in your life? And she's like, yeah, how'd you know that? I'm like, because I that's how you act when you come here. Right. She's been getting very sassy with me. And yesterday yeah. I told her, I'm so proud of you. How about that? For becoming yeah, yeah. such a piece of shit towards me. Yeah, because that's the truth. Yep. Yep. I want you being sassy with me. You come in here, you're complaining to my face. Yeah. I understand why you're doing it. I need to hear that constantly because I That's need right. to have context of the things that you need me to do. Yep. But you also understand why I wasn't able to do that. Yeah. And so there's a really nice reciprocation here yes. of, of a good conversation, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah and those okay. insecure bosses, like an insecure boss would not welcome that because he, he or she would see that as a you know, this person's an anarchist. This person's going to throw our organization into, you know, disrepair and they don't recognize my authority. When in honesty, like you said, what you're building there is a very healthy two-way ongoing fluid conversation where there's no room for resentment of things unsaid. There's no room for passive aggressive nonsense and baggage carrying it around. He or she has a problem. They see they see something that you're missing. They can bring it to you and vice versa. And you can speak in that manner. And there's no wasted time. There's no hurt feelings other than what's valid. Um, and it's just healthy. Uh, yeah, I value that. Sounds like y'all got a very healthy spot there. We're trying, man. And I got to tell you, we've had to weed out some, some trouble in the past. Sure. And those people, if you don't know what they look like, they're the people that won't say it to your face even when you invite it and make it comfortable. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's fucking nuts how one cancer can affect everything. Yep. Like people don't realize that you could have 35, 40 people at an organization. Yes. One person who's got poopy pants, who's a fucking piece of shit right. out of their own security yep. will wreck the whole goddamn place. It's like yep. wild, dude. It's when they say a cancer, true. like it's that one cancer cell that starts infecting everybody else. Yep. Nope. You're exactly right. And that's, uh, see, you see it everywhere. You're oh, right. Oh, yeah. 
We've had it. And, you know, when I can identify that, I mean, I can't tell you how fast I cut it out because yeah. in the past, you've learned the lesson of letting it sit, letting it fester, ignoring it, not wanting a tough conversation. Yeah. You usually can't talk to these people and they just must leave. Right. Unfortunately, they can't be here anymore. Right. They have to go. There's nothing I can't. Yep. I can't control their deep rooted insecurity and a lifetime of being battered and beaten up by whatever life has thrown at them. Right. Parents, old bosses. Yeah. Boyfriends cheating. Who the fuck knows what's going right. on, right? Right. So, but one thing I want to give people that are listening to this who are saying, I wish my boss was more like this, hmm. is to try to, as an employee, also have compassion for your boss. Yeah, that's good. It's a two-way street. So you can't, granted, when you said you're going to be the boss, took a lot more responsibility on, but bosses have to be given compassion too. Yep. Of what are they going through? What are they experiencing? Are they getting their butt kicked? What's going on in their life? Just like they should be doing for you. So yeah. it's so interesting. You always see that one guy who could talk to the hard boss, right? Like, so you always like, let, let John, let John go talk to him. You know, yeah. John's got a good in with the captain. Like why? Yeah. Well, the captain just likes John. Yeah. Well, John's figured out a way to talk and communicate with this guy. Yeah, for sure. So we should all take a lesson from John. And I got a funny feeling. John is the same guy that could probably talk to anybody in the building. Yeah. It's not just that so. captain. Yep. And so you, he's, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And we mentioned that earlier in the conversation, you know, le we tend to think, you know, leadership is downward moving, but leader, you know, the, the savvy folks that can speak up the chain, like you were talking about hypothetically, John, are the ones that are leading up the chain, right? John with, because he he's, he's determined, look, do the bosses have a different goal as me? Do they want, you know, in, in law enforcement parlance, do they want crime to be reduced? Do they want our city to be safer? Do they want, you know, better stats? Yeah, we all want that. So what is in the way of my commander, my, you know, overseer? Uh, why are they being an obstacle? Well, maybe there's some other influence, like you said, and they've learned to determine, you know, there's some other influence, but we have the same mission. And so now John can say, look, boss, I've got this particular plan. I've got this particular project. This is how it's going to be effective. We're all going to, you know, look good as we should because we've implemented this. We're all going to win. And that's proper savvy, you know, leadership up the chain of command. Um, but it's that's a that's an art, like you said. A lot of people um, that's that's challenging to do, particularly when you're navigating egos and you know pride and a lot of the you know heavy collars and positional authority. So you got to be. It's a savvy art for sure. I think one of the best things you can do is do your best. Yep. You know, and and try to play the balance of you know what my role is, how I can improve things, understand who your audience is. It's a hard thing to figure out, but I got to tell you, I really believe as I'm sitting here watching the work that guys like you and I are doing and other people in this industry who are really a blessing and a godsend, hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen it better, as weird as that sounds, in my entire life than it is right now and on the improvement ratchet. I'm hmm. not fucking kidding you. And I think it has nothing to do wow. with the outside forces because we know clearly that these demands and commands for a better cop but no action in place or any kind of plan implemented. Right. But we, as men and women in this profession who care enough, have answered the call and haven't waited for political interjection. Uh, they, yeah. You, sometimes these political interjections serve no purpose other than the fact that there's some kind of like accountability of yeah. they're checking the stats and how many use of forces there were. Right. Folks, checking the use of force stats does not fix use of force. What fixes use of force is actually understanding what the problem is and resolving that. So here's one significant problem in use of force. Cops don't know how to fight. Hmm. So how do you fix that? 
you teach them how to fight. Yeah. What is the obstacle that gets in the way of teaching them how to fight? Excuses like budgets and police chiefs and command staff that are afraid of people getting hurt during training. Yeah, liability, right. But what's yeah. the liability when your cop doesn't know what to do, <clears throat> Memphis? Right. And so you're worried about losing a guy on tour because you're shorthanded. Yeah. But now you got five going to prison for murder. Yep. Because you've never understood how to resolve the issue. If you watch that video, if one of those men or women hmm. knew Brazilian jiu-jitsu and had control right. and discipline, yep. there would be no video. Right. But I promise you, Corey, at yep. some point, there was somebody who said, hey, I think we should have Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And they went, can't do it. We don't have the money. Yep. And we don't want to be getting hurt during it because then this guy will want to leave. Yep. And da-da-da. Like, you can choose your pain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which pain do you want? Yep. You want the black eye and the embarrassment publicly, or right. you want the black eye and the guy's going to be out for three days while his eye heals because he can't see out his left eye, but he actually learned how to do things. Yep. That's and exactly right. I'm such a proponent of it. A proponent of it. I want people to understand if this is a problem, well, this is how you correct it. Not by looking at stats. Like we had a thing, our county implemented something like if you use too many uses of forces, there nobody knew the special number, but then you'd get sent to a county <laughs> Uh, like a thing for the county where they like it was sensitivity training. Right. Right. Yeah. Great thought, folks. But you know what yeah. happened in turn? Everybody was afraid to use force because yeah. they didn't want to because the three guys that got sent to it came back and were like it was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Like we had to sure. sit there and like they played a guitar and sang Kumbaya. Right. Right. They didn't teach them anything to fix that. Yeah. They didn't teach them any actual skills. It was just a fucking band-aid. Yep. on a dam that broke you'll take a fucking band-aid like a, like literally a johnson and johnson band-aid <laughs> and put it on a fucking dam that's pouring out ninety thousand gallons of water a minute and yep. said we did something it's yep. such bullshit here's the good news is there's actually solutions yeah for sure you got yep. you're gonna be well listen to guys like me and Corey. yeah there's, there's solutions right well you gotta let you know the key is like you said you know in that for use of force we're talking about that proper training proper equipment right not not being deterred by the buzzwords that folks don't use, like the idea of a rear naked choke is not a choke, right? I mean, just things like that. We get averse to certain things that are effective. Um, so you train the folks appropriately and professionally, and then you just let the professionals be professionals. I think that's super key. Um, I've also talked about use of force. Like uh, you ever watch one of those medical shows where you can actually like watch like a knee replacement surgery. Like you, if you can watch one of those, you're doing better than me because I'm pretty squeamish. But if you when you watch a knee replacement right on one of these TV shows, you'll see a guy, you know, a surgeon, you know, using looks like saws and decking screws and power screws. It looks brutal. It looks extremely like over the top. Like you, you're kind of like this person's never going to walk again. This is a disaster. But then if you sit down and watch it with a knee surgeon. Right. And they can translate what you're seeing. They will interpret. Look, no, that's exactly that's, that's a beautiful incision, right? You have to hard manipulate that that femur to get it to into position. You use those deck those titanium screws for this point for this specific purpose. Well, it's very similar with police use of force, right? Um, a lot of times we we don't even have the courage to interpret what we're looking at through our professional lens as an appropriate use of force because they all look bad. I mean, you know, it's a confront a physical confrontation between the police and a person, regardless of how textbook it is to the untrained eye looks like a knee surgery, right? They don't have any context. So we have to have the courage even then to speak on behalf of our folks and say, no, you know, in certain situations, we are trained to punch people in the face, 
Uh, that that's true, right? In certain circumstances along the spectrum of force, um, but we have to be able to be willing to say things like that. And again, just trust our folks to be professional if we've trained them professionally. That's it, man. It all comes back to one thing: training. Yep. And people often ask me, "How'd you do this? Why do you do it?" Because it is the essentially key to success yep. in every, literally, marriage counseling. Right? What are you doing? You're going getting trained on that. Yep. You're going to be a lifeguard. What do they do? They train you to be a lifeguard. You're going to be a great dad. Mm. Well, what do you do? You read books on how to be a great dad. You go into training. You watch other fathers do good training, you know, do be a great dad. Yep. There's all these things in life, but it comes back to one variable. And I got to tell you, just to assimilate it to this, when I started in real estate, I started with a friend of mine and the one thing that I complained the most to him about was you're not training us. You're telling us to go out and do this job, yep. but you're not giving us the training. And he said, well, what do you mean? I go, I don't know the first thing. If you put me through like a 10 hour course of like what real estate is, what do I need to know? Some real thoughtful stuff. What do you guys know? What do I see people ask this? What are some of the things that I don't know now you have me doing these cold calls? I don't know how to answer anything. So it's almost like a moot gesture for me to be making these calls. And, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> And again, this, he was a very younger, he's a much younger guy. I'm sure he's improved things now, but we got on a fucking call with some dude who yeah. was like, pitch me your, like, it was just the dumbest shit. And then we started goofing off on the call. So <laughs> while we knew there had to be some kind of change, some kind of implementing yeah. uh, an intervention of some training, there is a big difference between training and proper training. Yeah, and that's, that's right. where we miss significantly in law enforcement. If you want to know what that is, if you're swinging a foam baton at a guy dressed up in a red suit, <laughs> you have missed the fucking mark of what it means. Yeah. If your chief has now implemented a program where you guys are getting your mixed martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu fees paid for by the agency, and the chief gives you guys two hours credit every month or five hours credit every month, as long as you go to these classes, they consider that an on-duty where they can comp you compensation. Yep. They can't pay you because they the money, but they at least give you a time. Hey, we'll give you an hour early. You can leave if the squad's fat. You guys can use it at this time. Yep. We just want you to make sure you're in there getting that training because yep. we don't have anybody here in this 16-man department that trains this Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So we know there's a guy down the road. Yep. It's better than nothing. And if you go there, that's part of it. And and we'll, we'll compensate you for that. So there's... Mm. Dude who's swinging a foam baton at a red a guy in a red suit and he pretends like you're hurting him and you scream, yeah. get back, get back, yeah. get down, stop resisting. Yeah. Or you're going to a place where you're actually learning stuff. And and what we're seeing now is one thing works, one thing doesn't. Watch the videos where the there's a video, a famous video. I just saw it. Somebody said to me again, um, <laughs> where this guy's in the middle of the street, he wants to fight the cops. Each cop shows up and pulls out their sticks and start swinging the sticks at this dude. And he's just eating these things for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. I, people know what I'm talking about. They've seen the video. Yeah. It's a yeah. fucking calamity. It's in a clown show. Yeah, It's a fucking clown show. Right. Then now you're seeing videos of cops who are trained. Like yeah. there's one recently in New Jersey a few months ago, a guy who's a cop here who's I follow on Instagram. He follows us. He's been to our trainings. Mm -hmm. He made light work of a dude resisting him coming out of a Wawa and wow. literally flips this dude over has him in cuffs in about 10 seconds. How about that? Yep. And there's another guy actually, in I, one, one of the South Jersey towns here, he goes in, guys like in his underwear, obviously all geeked up, trying to fight the cop as soon as he walks in. And yep. he makes light work of that dude in about 10, 15 seconds. And I called yep. people that I know down there. And I said, 
hey, uh, what's with that dude? I mean, that was quick. Cool. <laughs> he, he trains, he trains BJJ. He made that guy yep. look like a fucking like, 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 and you have other people walk in and like, with like flail and swing sticks and grab oh, guns. Yeah. And this yep. guy made light work of this dude in yep. literally 10 or 15 seconds. And you know, that video of walking yep. is like actually plexiglass. He like literally gives the guy like a hip toss, yep. shoves him down, like toys around with his face, spins him yep. around, has him in cuffs in like 15 seconds. Yeah. And nobody's hurt. Like that's the best right. you know, nobody, you, all our injuries go down. The suspect injuries go down. And, and the best, one of the, one of the keys that a lot of people don't understand, you know, a lot of people who are just ignorant think, you know, if I train folks for these fighting styles, for instance, um, they're going to be, they're going to, you know, just, they're going to be more combative and perhaps they're going to be more aggressive when in actuality, it's always the case that the folks that are most expertly trained are actually less likely to have to use force because they show up on scene with a certain demeanor. And you know the demeanor where a suspect, if he's making poor decisions, sizes up that cop and that cop radiates confidence because he or she is confident because they're properly trained and they're prepared. And, you know, a lot of times that that couple second theatric dance where we're getting sized up and the suspect uh, is thinking about what, you know, decision, bad or good, I'm getting ready to make is based on who shows up. If you see a very insecure, you know, uh, you know, cowering type cop show up, they're probably more likely to want to fight. Whereas if a person who's properly trained and equipped and confident shows up and they're like, look, I'm fully prepared to have to fight you. I don't want to do that. Right. You radiate that. Um, you're less likely to even have to use the force. That's what's that's the um, that's the you know ironic part of that whole equation, in my opinion. I know they've interviewed people in the past who have killed cops, and there's been actual stories of, of these people who chose to kill a cop. Yes. That saw a cop one and said, nah, yeah, and went on to cop two. It's no different than being mugged. Right. You know, right. you got a crew looking to do an armed robbery or robbery on the street in New York. Uh, I mean, I walk down the street. I look the way I look. I'm not sitting here bragging. I look different than most people. I'm 220 yep. pounds. Right. I'm, I have, you know, I have big arms. I'm a big dude. I walk with command presence. I walk with confidence. You think they're picking me first? No. Right. Right. They want the Rick Moranis looking motherfucker. That's why Rick Moranis got punched in the face right. In, right. in downtown right. New York, right? Yep. So yep. it's the same thing with a cop. They're sizing you up. And these cop killers have said, yeah, I was actually going to kill this guy. But, yep. but then I thought he'd be too much of a challenge. Yep. So I found this guy. Yeah. It's, so when it's I look at these cops, that's right. When I look at these cops who come to classes, you know, I, I try to have compassion and I really don't try to take shots. Yeah. But if you're going to be in this profession, boy, I, I tell you, Corey, as, as awful as it sounds, I wish we could go back and bring all the cops who were killed in the line of duty back and sit them down and say, mm. hey, welcome back. Um, the reason you're back is you have one hour to tell these men and women. Yes. What what you what you would tell them. And I'm yeah. telling you, you would hear it. Of And the closest thing we get is the men and women who were significantly injured in the line of duty that come on this podcast or another podcast and say, this is where I fucked up. And yep. now I can't walk anymore. Now I can't use my left arm anymore. Now I have, yes. uh, I'm probably shaved 25 years off my life. I can't sleep. I have constant radiating pain. Yeah. People think like, and you could hear the regret, complacency, yes. lack of training, lack of caring, lack of discipline. Yep. And I don't say that because I'm the most disciplined person in the world. But I also, when I show up in these places, namely especially like North Dakota, South Dakota, up in the Northwest, yep. these motherfuckers are fat, dude. I'm talking like yeah. fucking huge. It, it, and they're young guys. You know, they're in patrol. They're yep. young, two, three years on. They're 400, 375 pounds, fat, yep. can't barely fit into a fucking car. Yeah. Crazy. 
You can't, and you they, just can't have that. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is, unfortunately it's, you know, that has made its way into the profession. And I, I don't know if it's, I mean, on, honestly, I don't know if it's just a lack of discipline or just complacency about the danger, the inherent danger of the job. I don't know what it is, but um, it's, it, you know, I, me and my circle of friends, like we are, I won't say we're fanatical, but we we care for our mind, our soul, and our body. You know, where, because we recognize they're all connected. Um, but I mean, I, I'll bet all of my paycheck, I'll bet my life that I could call any five of my small circle of friends today, right now, and say, "Look, what'd you do this morning? What was your workout?" And you know, I this morning I did 500 push-ups in 30 minutes. That was my workout today. Um, you know, my friend, I, I guarantee they were in the gym already today. They were already running because we've done that for 25 years because right. again you know i don't respect it necessarily if you're just coming out of the academy and oh i'm working out and i'm breaking crossfit records yeah i look do that for 20 years that's part of the job this is not we're not we're not just selling cars here right this is an inherently dangerous job you don't know the day that your ticket's going to get punched and you need to be prepared um i, I it is I, I take that very personally for sure when like you if said, anybody wants to know why it's so important i think you could watch the nashville cop who was shot in the line of duty yep um, that's the one where the, he pulls over that girl. She gives us 19 red flags. And there's so many things to say about that video. Yep. And I critique it here publicly because I want to help save your life. That's right. This is a man who was probably 300 pounds overweight, yep. day shift, probably takes zero fucking training and just forgot about how dangerous the job was and fortunately survived. But yep. when we look at that as trainers, we say, first of all, look at this guy. Yeah. Second of all, how does this guy not see what we see? How are you missing all these red flags that are about to occur? Yeah. And you're letting this because you have never taken this job seriously. Dude, I teach classes, right? I got to go to um, uh, this Sunday. I'll be flying out to the Cincinnati area to teach a class there. We have 140 something people come to that class. Yeah. But there's probably 10,000 cops in the area. So why aren't there 10,000 people in that class? Right. And the class is because they think in their mind, I don't need to know this stuff. But what yeah. they don't realize in that class is number one, the professional development you get in the knowledge basis of case law, yeah. practical application. If you're a field training officer, what you could take back to your people. But also, I discuss five or six interventions of how to improve tactics to save your life. Right, and yep. it's just wild to me that somebody will look at a at a at a training flyer and it says it'll save your life, and they say, "Well, it's two hundred ninety nine dollars." <laughs> What's your life worth, man? Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we charge a, you know. We charge a $599 ticket for a five-day event coming up. That's what it costs to go to the conference this year. Yep. That's a really good deal when you're looking right. at five days of training for $110 a day or $120 a day. Right. The it's whole, really good. Right. Yep. Right. That's a real, real good deal. And, and dude, we're bringing up some power hitters, some heavy hitters. That's great. Yeah. Even if you're not proactive and you're reactive, how are you not considering the day when you're going to have to come out of the radio room, come out of the back office and respond to something and you have no skills? Yep. I would, it's like, you ever, you know, you always see the, the, the chief out to lunch with the fucking pancake holster on, right? No retention on the holster, the snap, the one snap and, and the radio in the hand. Yeah. And That's nothing else. Gun. It's just a free gun. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I watched the first 48. I'm seeing these female, I just saw one uh, yesterday's girls from Atlanta. I'm not trying to pick on her, but. Here we are. She's in high heels, makeup to the fucking nines, earrings, you know, high heels, business attire, not even business attire. She's like, and like, the question I have for you is, wow. Wow. are you going out to investigate homicide suspects who could take your life at any second? Right. Or are you going out to give a board meeting? So yeah. we need to have context. There was another one where 
I just watch. I watch first forty eight religiously. Yep. They see a dude. They go to this convenience store, and I'll criticize. We had a Tulsa, so they see a dude in the convenience store, and they're looking for him. But then he ends up walk by. And they got four detectives. They're like, "Hey, he's right there. He's right there." And all they do is run back to their cars to find their vests. <laughs> so you see the one female. Yeah. She's like popping the lift gate on the Tahoe. She's like looking around <sighs> for her vest to go stop this dude. Yep. It's like, well, hold on, guys. You're already in the field. I get it. You want to take the vest off when you get back to the building? Take it yeah. off, put it to the side. Why? Is it at the ready? Is it right next to you? Right. You're in heels, yeah. right? You're in fucking heels as a cop. Are you responding to an active shooter? You're going in fucking three-inch stilettos? Nope. nope. What are we talking about? What are you guys doing? I get it. You want to look professional. I get why there's an intimidation factor of having the suit. Yeah. But come on, man. Let's pick a better shoe. Yeah. Right? No, you're right. You you have to be prepared. You know, when you get to that, I don't, I don't know if I don't know if some of that is, you know, fame or celebrity or wanting to just look like you said, look pretty or polished. But um, you're a cop, right? You're as a, as a homicide detective in that situation, you're hunting a killer, someone that, that you believe is is already killed somebody. You know, we we it's not the time to be, you know, tactically complacent. That doesn't make sense at all. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, you see that a lot. And, you know, it folks get tightened back up when you have a tragedy. Right. When you there's a national you know, story of an officer that's ambushed or murdered. And then we think, oh, man, yeah, we, I got to tighten back up. I got to get my mind right every day. I got to have my gear straight. Um, but it should not it shouldn't take tragedies like that to keep us, you know, tactically tight. And I, I hate seeing that, too. For well, sure. we will we, we, we will say these things and continue not to fail people. And you and I both together, we're all yep. on the same team. And and uh, we not me. A conversation like this may not be welcomed by a lot of people, but that's okay, that's okay. because we don't really care about those people. That's not what we're trying to persuade. We don't sit here and try to sell the unsellable. That's not the point. Right. We are trying to mold and give direction to the future of law enforcement, because I got to tell you, in my death, but I at least want to say, you know, it wasn't easy, but I'm glad we did what we did. What we did. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that we did what we did. I'm glad that we put the work in and did the hard work and the intellectual work of trying to make things better. And this- yeah, I can yeah. tell you right now, comfortably with all humility, I know for a fact there are at least 25 to 150, maybe even more people who will see their children this morning because something we taught them. Yeah. They implemented and it saved their life. Yep. Yep. And that's that's the greatest and that's the greatest accomplishment. I think I'm reminded of a uh, there's an FD, an old FDNY banner um, that they would always push around that said, you know, basically let let the ghost of no man return to say my my training failed me. Right. That was the, that's the goal. That's the vision. Like uh, stuff out of your control may happen, but it, you you should not move on out of this life based on lack of training. That's completely in our control. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm about to get a public black eye. I could tell you that right now from some shit that we had to deal with here. And, you know, dude, I just go back to those stories. And just recently where I just taught this week, as a matter of fact, a guy came up to me at the end of class and I always know when it's coming and it's welcome. It's fine. If you're that guy and yep. everybody left and he wanted to have a quiet conversation with me and we had to catch a plane. So it can't be forever. And he was like, look, dude, I was in a bad place. This happened in my life and mm. I was abusing alcohol and I, I was close. And I got to tell you a lot of the things that you're doing with the podcast and that stuff and all the training, all the things I see. That's great. You saved my life. That's great. Yeah. I don't say, I don't make that stuff up. You know, right. do people come up to me and say things all the time. Like I don't even, I'm in Atlantic City two weeks ago. I don't drink very often, but when I know I'm going to be somewhere and it's that's the thing, I've made the decision to drink Yep, the four to five times a year that I actually do it. But I also know that a lot of eyes are on me, so I'm not misbehaving. But, you know, I get a little geeked up. Yep. Nothing crazy. I'm just like, you know, 
just a little geeked up. Nothing. I'm not like stumbling, acting like an asshole. I'm just like, yeah, I'm fucking feeling it, right? Yeah. And the dude came up to me at 1.30 in the morning. I'm heading back to the room. I'm exhausted. I'm done. You know, I've I've done the conversations with 85 people that want to have the co- talks. They want to do the pictures, all yeah. that cool shit. And he said, hey, man, um, I just want to thank you for doing that thing for my family. And he'll probably hear this. And I said, uh, it's no problem, brother. How about that? I have no idea what he was talking about, right? I have no clue. But <laughs> what, what I can tell you is if you continuously show up and do the right work, yes, you may not see it, but eventually it'll come back and God will say, see? Yeah. See, right. that? see what's yeah. important? I can't help anybody financially. And it was a financial donation. I can't help you if I can't help us first yeah. as a business. People have to understand that. So people say, well, $2.99 for a class. Well, just so you know, that doesn't go to my Maybox savings plan. Right. Yeah. A lot of this stuff goes back to the right things and the right reasons. And we yeah. really, honestly, we we ride a very close margin here because I'm trying to continue to expand this and get to as many people that I possibly can yeah. for several reasons. But at the end of the day, I won't be able to help people if I can't do what I have to do on this side of things. That's why I'm so obsessed with developing this business and this company. And you'll have people say, yeah, this guy's in it for the money. Uh, I'm actually not. <laughs> but I also agree that I think I should be rewarded for the work that I put in. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, put, yeah. we, were in this, we were in the airport last week and uh, I took Kyle. He was one of our newer guys here. Sunday, we're in fucking on, on the way to the airport, right? Where people are hanging out with their kids and making pasta and what the fuck they're also doing on a Sunday. <laughs> we land uh, into Michigan. It's fucking snowing. It's miserable. Yep. We you know, I go to the hotel, I work out, we get work done. We go out, get a little something to eat, come back next day up at 5 a.m. We're at the class at seven, yep. long day, pack up, race back down to Chicago Hair International, yep. uh, get through, stuff starting to close. We had to eat shitty food because all the places we planned on eating started closing at seven o'clock, 7.30. Yep. Um, and then we're on a tarm, you know, we're on the runway, flights delayed by two hours. Yeah, but, but again, we finally land at 2 a.m., 2.15 in the morning in Newark. And, you know, dude, we just landed. We're not even home yet. Right? We've been teaching since 5 a.m., right? Oh, so now yeah. it's 2 a.m., and uh, he gets up. I don't know if he told you what he looked like. He looked like a, a, a bullet train hit him right in the face. And I was like, yo, you okay? He's like, I'm, I'm hurting, bro. And I'm like, wow, you're a fucking little pup on the, on the, on the porch, the big dog now. That's right. Go, bro. You gotta hang on. That's right. And as we're walking through the airport, I said, this is the shit that people don't see. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't even want, like, Oh, thank you for that. No, no, no. I don't, I'm just saying this is the things that people don't see. It's now it's, yep. I'm not getting home till four o'clock in the morning. I don't get to yep. see my kids that day like I planned to. Yeah. Half my day's shot because I'm going to sleep till 10 30. Yep. 11 o'clock. Yeah. Um, and now my routine screwed up. I'm missing this tonight. I can't go to that. Yep. I go and this, and people come to my house and say things like, wow, this house is so nice. You're so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Luck is disguised as hard work a lot of times. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm the same way you, you, I'm sure you pour yourself into training like I do at the end of just a regular training day. Uh, I'm, I'm so worn out just from oh, the yeah. passion, you know, because we believe in what we're teaching and we want it to stick. We want it to be delivered well in a professional, aggressive manner. Uh, yeah. Wipes you out. You're right. That, you don't see a lot of that. Right. And that's why that hard work, you know, luck always favors the hustler. Uh, that's just how it works. So you're out there hustling. Uh, you're going to make more, you know, lucky opportunities for yourself. Grant Cardone said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> it's a it's a pretty predictable equation for sure. I agree with that. 
it's refreshing to spend time with somebody like you. And I think it gives us both a reminder that there's a lot of people out there like us. And essentially, you know, that's kind of what the logo of Street Cop Training means. People like us do things like this. And it's okay to be like us. Um, There's people out there who don't like me at all. And that's okay. I respect that. That's fine. I understand it's part of the deal of doing what we're trying to do. But hey, man, you're one of the best reoccurring characters on this show. Thanks for what you're doing. We appreciate it. Keep your foot Thank you for what you're doing, brother. It's all the same shit. It's all the same shit. Cool, brother. All right, Corey. I'll see you, buddy. Thank you. You too. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.